Hi, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm Emma Thomas, and my guest today is Lou Featherstone, fashion legend and accidental midlife influencer. Welcome to the podcast, Lou. (laughs) Thank you for having me, darling. (laughs) So, yeah, for anybody who hasn't come across you before, maybe they've been living in a cupboard for the last couple of years, you're Lou in Lou-land over on social media, on Instagram and on your website. So in the last couple of years, you have utterly transformed your life. Can you tell us a bit more about what happened, what prompted you to decide to make those big changes, like sort of stepping out of your your relationship and all mm. of the stuff that has happened? I feel like life's just a constant. I started thinking of my life in chapters because it makes mm. much more sense me and then I find I can move on somehow more um I'm like well that was that chapter and this is a new one and so since I started literally thinking about it in chapters or at late at night I like to think of it as a movie and I'm like part one part two (laughs) the prologue I don't know I think I moved I moved loads as a child my dad was a vicar Mum was a probation officer, but because of dad's job, whenever God called, off we hoofed to different places. So I started mm. moving all the time every two or three years, which as a child was actually pretty brutal. Oh. Uh, you don't think about that kind of that as, as a vicar. I kind of always, I guess, because wherever I've grown up, the vicar's been a bit of a fixture so and not sort of necessarily moved around. But is that quite common then? I mean, I think we did five years Two years, two years, five years, Hmm. four years, five years. So it sort of is. But as a child, that's quite frequent as a move. And I, it's given me the best bits of me and the worst bits of me. I think, you know, my first round in therapy, when I went into therapy, I was like, I don't want to end up hating my parents. (laughs) But a lot of, a lot of me comes from moving around. So sort of insecurity, I guess, come, a lot of my insecurities come from moving and also quite a trouble sort of committing to things or things lasting so because I moved mm, I permanence myself so it was a great opportunity you know if I'd slept with too many people I could just move and start again and know <laughs> so there's upsides and downsides of it I also it did also mean that I get along with a very wide range of people the church was always full of you know, it could be the bishop or some high-flying businessman or, you know, somebody who worked on the factory floor that the high-flying businessman owned, you know what I mean? So I think we had, you know, bereaved people coming to the front door all the time. We had homeless people coming to the front door looking for help. We had people coming to get married. Um, we had human <laughs> marriage trouble. On oh, human life. <laughs> they not, Human life knocked at my front door every day. You know, and even if it was only opening the front door and welcoming them in, making tea for the homeless, showing someone who'd lost their child into the study to see dad, you know, I learned very quickly to read a room, I guess, and get along with everybody. But in, going back to your actual question, uh, the last sort of two years, we moved to America in that chapter. In mm. eight chapter, we moved to America for my husband's fabulous job, um, Portland in Oregon, which I frankly never even heard of before he suggested that there was <laughs> Uh, he got offered a bunch of jobs, including San Francisco and New York. Well, obviously, I thought that was far sounded far more exciting uh, to move to San Francisco or New York. So when I said to people, we're moving to Oregon, people were like, where, what? Where is that? <laughs> Show like, me on the map. I had. But actually, one of the most beautiful spots in the world. Na- nature wise, it was absolutely mm. I could see volcanoes through my kitchen sink. 
you know, we could snowboard. We could be, we were snowboarding within an hour and a half of the house, or we were on glorious coast, much like the Welsh coast. You need the cagoule, mm. like yeah. beautiful. Very well. baby, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, absolutely stunning. We lived in the largest urban forest in the world, so in amongst these treetops in the most glorious house, which sounds like it should all be idyllic, right? So we arrived. I was going to say, and then you left it all behind. <laughs> left it all behind because. I don't know. I think almost straight away, my husband and I lost each other. We arrived there. He had this big swanky new job. I'd given up my career um, in social services. Obviously, I mean, I, you know, of course, I was excited to move to America. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't awful, but I couldn't work for the first year. And I remember at the time being very stressed about what I was going to do all day because I was even I can't work out all day. Like, how am I going to meet friends? What you know, how's this work? But it seemed like a, too good an opportunity to miss, and I wouldn't. I will caveat this by saying I would not change it for the world. But we arrived and within a week, Guy had to start work. And Mm. Oscar started at school and I had no visa to work and couldn't work. And so I began trying to meet people and I started hiking and I found fitness and I started uh, volunteering at school to meet people. And so I started on this path and Guy started in his new job and almost straight away he won quite a big piece of business that was based out in New York. Well, that sounds Mm. great also, but he, that first year, he went to New York 48 times in the first year. And that's a five-hour flight and a three-hour time difference. It's like, it's it's a big-ass commitment. Mm, and so <laughs> almost almost straight away, we we started to lose each other. We'd, he'd, we'd lived in Brighton for many years, and he commuted up and down to London for that. And we'd spent, you know, he, was, had a, he loved his job, and I was fine with it. We'd never spent that much time together. Um, I was more than happy, you know, for him to do what he needed. Um but then the distance became so much, I think. And then with, <laughs> I started to find my confidence and found my voice in my relationship. And we've been married 20 years almost at this point. It seemed rather late for me to be starting to find my voice. But after 20 years and lots of things, it wasn't anything that he was doing wrong or I was doing wrong. It was mm. just patterns that we'd fallen into and stuff that I just let go because I thought that's what good wives did. And but then well, we don't get taught any of this stuff, do we? Well, we certainly we were we weren't when we were growing up. Like how to actually have a, like resolve conflict, how to you know how to discuss things properly, how to understand what the other person's. What I wanted. I don't think I even knew what to say to him. In fairness, and I think you know when I started questioning things, things just seemed really unfair to me all the time. Suddenly, I was like, "Hang on a minute, that's not fair." And when I'd raise it with him, he would be so confused because there were things he'd been doing for twenty years that I'd never said. About. I'd never mentioned. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm beginning to find that this isn't fair. It's a bit like asking, you know, you know, with the kid. It was like basically, I let him put his feet on the coffee table for twenty years. Then after twenty years, I don't like you putting your feet on your coffee table. And he's like, "Well, I've been doing it for twenty years. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Why didn't you mention it before?" <laughs> no, well, I don't, know. I don't like it. And he's like, "Well, how about this?" So. I made the really difficult, we started in therapy um, before lockdown started and then lockdown hit. My business had started to grow. Instagram was really growing. We're starting to grow. Um, I was renting out my clothes and doing vintage mm. shopping tours around Portland. I was coaching fitness. I was coaching kids. I was running this hike squad. I was kind of really just sort of finding my feet and lockdown hit, which was the end to the, you know, that brought an end to the closed rental business. No one was going mm. to that. And obviously an end to coaching. And we were suddenly sort of forced in into 
the house together. Uh, you know, I mean, we're not alone. This story has been repeated yeah. around the world many, many, many times. Um, but we were already in therapy and we were just struggling to find, to hear each other and, and be heard also, I think. Um, and I think we'd let it go too long. We've neglected each other's needs too long. And it was just, we couldn't find our way back to each other at all. We were so sort of like locked in those yeah. battles. You, know, you get locked in those battles. It's awful. I think back and I, it's, it's, I, do, I talk about it quite often because it's, it's actually quite heartbreaking. You know, he would come home from work. I remember clear as day, he'd come home to Brighton and it's a long ass day. You know, he'd been on the train since 6am. It's two hours up there, long mm. day at work, long trip back. Meanwhile, I've got Oscar up, got him to school, gone and done a day's work with social services, equally as hard, obviously not getting paid quite an advertising <laughs> salary. Picked Oscar up, had friends round to play to make sure Oscar's needs are being met, got him to karate, got him back again, got him into bed, cooked some dinner, sat down. And just as I sat down, in would walk my husband. And then it would be an hour and a half monologue about his day. And I used to play a game called, how long will it take him to ask me how my day was? <laughs> now, my error in the, this entire scenario was forgetting to actually tell Guy that he was playing this game. So he was never going to win because I was cross with him before he even got home, before we'd even started playing yeah. the game. <laughs> and now on reflection, I'm like, God, how much easier would it have been for me just to say to him, I really need you to ask me how my day was. Like, it can't just yeah. be about just you. a bit of reciprocity oh, in this <laughs> relationship. Fucking care. Fucking ask me. At least pretend to care. But instead, I'd turn the TV off and I'd listen to him. And, it, it, and so the resentment just starts to grow, right? Hmm. Whereas now on reflection, I'm like, God damn it. Why could I not find, why could I not find my voice? I mean, the irony that I couldn't find my voice, but now I can't bloody shut up. It's hysterical. <laughs> I'm like, what on earth? So we decided in the last, so we decided to separate and I moved into the spare room and I stayed there for two years. America's just brutally expensive and I was mm. a bit scared by myself. Um, the healthcare system, it's a lot. It's a long way from home. My mum had died and a lot of things just felt like it, were calling me back to the UK. Uh, my son was at this point, uh, after the two years, was finishing high school and it was time for me to to make my next move, you know? And he was going off to college. He's, he took a gap year and he's going traveling. So I'm like, what's left? What's next for me? Instagram had grown massively during lockdown and so many, as I'd shared my personal journey online, so many women had reached out to me and opened up to me. Mm. And the overwhelming feeling from everybody was just felt quite lost and disconnected and people were looking for ways to connect. And I was like, I grew up in community and church and, you know, I'm fun on, I'm fun online, but I'm so much more fun in real life. And I want to, <laughs> I want to, you know, for me, it's connection and that's where the power is. So I was like, what can I do? What can I do? What shall I do next? Where do I go? Do I go home? Do I stay in the States? And by chance, I saw a vintage old motorhome by the side of the road. And I was with a friend and we swerved off the road. I went, my <laughs> bus. We swerved off the road and we ran round this bus that was sitting on the side. I was like, oh my God, imagine what we could do with the bus. Imagine what I could do. I could go on tour. I could go, I could be my tour. Divine inspiration struck. <laughs> and I went home that night and I didn't know where everybody was, but I had the house to myself and there was the most almighty storm. And this 100-year-old tree fell down. Well, I'll never forget the sound of this tree cracking, the trunk cracking. 
Um, it was one of those sound, it was just immense. I was like, what is that? And we had a house on the in the trees, but on a slope on stilts. And I I thought it was the stilts going. So anyway, end of the world. <laughs> the tree clipped, fell and clipped the edge of the house. And it did, if it had landed on the house, I'd be dead. Instead, it fell in a five foot gap between me and the neighbor and missed both of us. It just clipped the edge of the house. Well, wow. I'd had a joint and a couple of gin and tonics. I was like, it's a sign. It's a sign. I should buy the bus. And so I did. I became obsessed with the idea of the bus. And I uh, found, I I ended up not buying that one. It wasn't quite the right one. But within a week, I'd found one that I loved the look of. I rang the guy. I was like, I need this bus. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I want to do with the bus. I don't have any money. Could you give me how much time would you give me to raise the money? He said, you can have one month. I won't put it up for sale. I haven't put it up for sale yet. And I did. I crowdfunded the bus in the next three weeks. Um, I drew up a presentation. I literally drew up a presentation on Instagram stories and then screenshot it and printed it out like a little presentation. And I sent it to brands that I'd worked with. I sent it to friends and family. I sent it to anyone. And, and America is so rooted in sort of entrepreneurship. They're yeah. into like if you sent a British person a thing going you want to contribute to my RV they'd be like (laughs) (laughs) back off lady (laughs) in America they're like fuck yeah you know I was like look this is a mission this is not me going on a jolly um although I will enjoy myself but uh you know I want to go on this mission I want to take my message out on the road and meet people in real life and help connect people I want to throw events as I go connect people in their local area and then roll on to the next sort of spot and um, yeah, I sold the seats. I sold seats on the bus for a thousand pound dollars a seat. Some people bought five. One family bought uh, one for each of their family for Christmas presents. I mean, I'm sure the kids were thrilled with that. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they ever get to come and visit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They all came on a little bit. Um, and then, and I bought the damn bus. And then I flew down. I got it was down in Arizona. I hadn't even seen it in real life. I just oh seen my pictures. god. I know I can't even explain to you how I felt at this point so then about a month later I got a one-way ticket down to Arizona and I got off the plane in Phoenix and I got an Uber to the field where this guy had been this guy basically done it up inside he was buying old oh, so it was all converted you didn't need inside, to do anything to her and if you um don't follow me or you've never seen it you have to go onto my Instagram and look at the damn bus I mean you it, it was made for me it was it, it is incredible <laughs> Or she, we should call her, we should call her by her name. She has a name. Susie. 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 (laughs) Named after my mum who died in the middle of all of this kind of happening. And um, I took one look at Susie and I just thanked my knees and burst into tears because I was like, what have I done? I just made the biggest mistake of my life. I don't even know how I'm going to drive it. It was terrifying. It's a oh, God, has you never driven anything that big before? No. I mean, she's 32 foot long. She's like a full-on bus. <laughs> yeah. I The guy sort of came out, came out of Susie and sort of looked at me and went, are you all right? And I'm like, what have I done? Oh, my God. He was like, oh, my God. What is this? Who is this woman? <laughs> yeah. I stopped crying long enough for him to take me on my first driving lesson. And we sort of kangarooed around Phoenix. And then I said to him, right, what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to um, I'm going to stay here for maybe a week. And every day, would you mind taking me out, even if it's just for half an hour so I can get used to it? And he said, yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. So he goes off. He leaves me there. 
uh, for my first night on board. And I hadn't told anybody on Instagram I was doing it. I am a bit uh, superstitious in some ways like that. And I didn't want to jinx it till I'd actually mm. got her. So that was the first night I kind of told it. I, I made a video and I was, <laughs> I'm sitting there with a glass of champagne. Going, <gasps> I've done a thing. I bought this bus. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take Lou and Lula down on the road. And I don't know if it's a good idea or the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I went to bed sobbing my heart out, woke up the next morning, my emails, my direct messages the, had blown up completely and it was just full of messages going, fuck yeah, oh my God, you badass, this is insane, this is your, this is legendary. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to have to do it now. <laughs> do it. But it gave me, and I'd still laugh to this day because people are like, you're so inspirational. I'm like, yeah, it works. People inspire me to inspire them. It really is a two-way street, you know? Mm. Um, and I love my community so much. I've built such a beautiful community. I feel really um, supported and loved. And I've just, you know, I will fight anyone who sort of, I believe you can make real connections through Instagram. I really do. If you're if you're an authentic person and that's what you want to do, then I think that you can. But the next morning, so the guy arrives to take me on my next driving lesson. And I went, you know what? I'm a badass and I'm just going to go. And he went, no, no, no. I don't think that's a very wise idea. And I went, no, it's fine. I've got 500 messages from people telling me I'm a badass. I can handle it. <laughs> you do anything. And he went, well, I mean, okay. And I literally just turned the engine on and drove away. And I drove a thousand miles back to Portland to get to bring her home. Picked my best mate up on the way. And then drove all the way up to Portland and then parked her in someone's driveway because they everybody has such huge, huge houses in America. And then I set about getting some sponsorship to help me pay for the tour. So I approached a bunch of brands. I mean, as an influencer, I really don't do many paid adverts because it's just not what my page is about. And I feel mm. it takes away from my message. So I try, I've always tried to avoid doing those things unless it's something I really love or I really believe in. Or I think it really is of benefit to the community. I try to hustle my money out in, in other ways. Um, and if I do do work with brands, I try to do long-term relationships with somebody. So I'm like, take me on for six months, give me money for six months, put me on a retainer and I will, I will promote the shit out of you and we'll have a partnership that means something to me and to you and to my community and to your community and we'll have a genuine relationship because it's just that's who I am and what I do. So I approached five brands and said, can you give me some money? I'm taking this on tour. You can put your name on the bus. I'm going from one side of America to the other. And then I'm going to shit. And the plan was always to ship her home and put Susie in a field here and throw events. So I got my five brands. I got some money. I packed up my bags. I said goodbye to my amazing life in Portland. I said, finally said goodbye to my husband. And that was probably one of the most harrowing days of my actual life. I drove away from the house. I parked the bus outside the house mm -hmm. the night before I left. Um, oh, God, I'm going to cry. And um, sorry, surprising That's myself, okay. I still cry. I thought of this day. And it was so hard because... Everybody wanted to come and see me off, all my friends and family. Mm. My PDX family, my Portland family wanted to come and wave me off. And the few weeks leading up to the tour was so difficult because normally when you leave your husband, you have a huge argument and somebody packs a bag and fucks off. <laughs> or you sneak off in the middle of the night. You certainly don't have a countdown calendar on the wall of like, mum's leaving in three weeks and I'm trying to get excited <laughs> and I'm terrified, but I'm excited and I'm trying to find my confidence. Mm. 
but also that's the day I leave my life. So those few weeks were probably the hardest weeks I will ever have in my whole life. I've forgotten how hard they were about it for a few weeks. And um, so the morning came and I've got half of my life here sort of heartbroken and crying because I'm leaving and then you know my friends and family are all like my friends are all sort of like blowing trumpets waving it was so difficult mm-hmm. and I, I still don't actually know how I how I got down the road I couldn't even see I I was screaming thank god I had my friend Sarah next to me because I don't think I could have mm-hmm. I don't think I would have made it it was just so brutal driving out and away from Portland it felt like it was the only way I could have done it I feel like my marriage deserved a dramatic <laughs> end. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was sort of like I tried to think, well, at least it was worth, it was special enough. Do you know what I mean? I, I hate, it was so good for so many years. It's, so, it's still so sad to me that we couldn't figure it out. Um, yeah. Do, do you think he, do you think he didn't believe that you would go until you, until you were gone? Um, I don't know. I still can't believe I've gone. <laughs> it's been it's like happened years. to somebody else. Yeah, I still find it hard to believe that I've gone. But I did it, and I do have flashbacks to that mo that specific moment, leaving driving, leaving them on the side. I literally left them on the side of the road, and then I didn't luckily have much time really then to sit in the pain too much because um, I was often driving. So I literally I drove. I did what I set out to do and I drove 6,000 miles and 28 states and ended up in New York and I threw events everywhere. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing it. take a minute. Gosh. I haven't talked about it for a little while. Um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm teary and I'm just listening to you. But yeah, you know, just, just walking away from, especially walking away from your son. That's Yeah. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? What do you do? I can't. What do I do? Sit around while he goes on a gap year? Like, I just, mm. it didn't make any sense to me. When leaving my friends, I think, way more painful than I ever anticipated. They have realised in the last few weeks that it's been a proper heartbreak leaving them behind. You know, my job as a mum for me is to get Oscar to a point where he goes and figures out his own path, you know. There's only so much I can do for him. And in America particularly, they they mollycoddle their kids mm. later than we do. They're still, you know, most kids when they're 18 here, it's sort of like you can contribute to the rent when you come home <laughs> in some holidays, you know. There, it's it's a very different culture. So I said there's a bit of British in me and a bit of, a, you know, white privileged America as well. But, you know, I need him. He needs to go and find his own path. I, you know. I heard it referred to the other day instead of um, empty nesting as bird launching. Yeah. It's just lovely. It's like, you know, you're launching them off into the world. It's like, go be brilliant. It's so hard. Empty nest or bird launching is Idiots. I had no idea. There's been three. I literally said to somebody this morning, there's been three things in my life where I've had to really just go back to friends and say, I'm sorry. One is when my mum died. When is bird launching, which I'm now going to call it that. <laughs> and, and one was divorce. And those three things I've had to go back to all my girlfriends and just go, I am so sorry. I know your mum died and I've seen you, leave, you know, launch your birds off to college. I don't know. 
and you've gone through divorce I had no idea how hard this is if I'd known I would have been I would try to be there for you better I thought I was being a good friend but you just you can't those 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 life shifting soul shifting things are just so painful and hard and part of life and they form who you are right but god they were hard you know yeah forged in fire yeah and then I got to New York parked the bus up got on a plane and moved home just over a year ago and it's been I've, I've loved it I've loved mostly every minute of coming home which I was such a surprise to me if you'd asked me <laughs> if I thought I'd be happy here I would have said to you no because but I just felt the need to come home I just I've I found America painfully brutal to live in the human right you know women's rights under threat every five minutes the, the racism the violence the guns those things are just they're very real when you live there Trump was just you know yeah living through that well you know and you know who knows we may you know it looks like he'll probably get back in again next for another term it just is mind-boggling to me and it's just I just spent the whole time going why is no one doing something (laughs) (laughs) pull the emergency cord we need somebody (laughs) you know it's I don't know and it's so big the country's so vast Mm. Um, it's hard to grasp what it feels like you feel very disconnected and so although it's so big and I love the space. One of the things I miss the most is the space mm. and the sky and nature and, and having room to breathe. And life's quite a lot slower than it is in London. But here, I feel like we're much more of a society. That, you know, the number of people out marching, for example, the last tour mm. week. Yes. You know, things like that. You know, I feel like at least, although, you know, the government don't give me this feeling, but I feel like at least this is a society that wants to, you know, that takes, it's not just about self. Mm. So you must, you must have cut across a real kind of cross section of, of US society though, <laughs> driving that, that mm. distance. And, you know, I think a lot of us, if we have experience of going to the States, it's only of the kind of the big cities. So certainly for me, you know, I've kind of been to a few from a work standpoint. So you only really get to see one face of America, but you mm-hmm. got to see so many. So many. And I was so scared. I was so scared. While well, everyone was telling me how brave I was, I was just like, I don't know what everybody's talking I'm about. Fucking I'm fucking terrified. Terrified. <laughs> and then I came, you know, about halfway through the tour, I was like, it's exactly the same feeling. Like this fear and excitement is exactly the same thing. And then I went to a lecture this summer and found out that literally scientifically, it's exactly the same reaction in the brain. So that made a lot of things make more sense to me. But I was very scared to go down south. I remember crossing into Texas. I was going over the border into Texas and, you know, when I'd left Portland, some friends had tried to make me take a gun with me. I was like, you lot, I I went with a taser. My ex-husband actually bought me a taser as a leaving present. And um, I had a taser, but I was worried. There's a naked cartoon of me on the bus, you know, and I'm like these fundamental Christians, you know, I'm out here with my messages about self-love and masturbation. You know, on board I had over uh, over five hundred vibrators on board. I had a, a vibrator sponsor. Arrestable offence in some countries. Yeah. In, <laughs> Maybe in, not in the states yet. But. You're only allowed. I believe it's six vibrators and dildos. That's the law. And I had over four hundred in the back of the bus. I also had edibles that I had made with with an edible with with a collective of uh, black owned 
farm marijuana growers in Oregon. I had cans of gin and tonic. I'd done a, one of my other sponsors was a gin and tonic uh, <laughs> female um, owned gin distillery. So I am driving a bus of contraband. And I didn't realize that when you go from New Mexico into Texas, there's a proper full on border. It's, it looks like if you're going into France, they don't have that in lots of the other states. But because mm. it's so close to the Mexican border there, they do have a, a check. So I'm trundling towards this. I'm like, oh, what's that coming? I can see it coming in the distance. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a bloody border uh, check. And I'm like, oh, dear God, I was already really scared um, and nervous that the Christians were going to come get me. And um, I do you not have, surely you get a get out of jail free card if you're a vicar's daughter. You'd be like, oh, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> you know, I do believe in God. You can still, you know, use a vibrator and believe in God. In fact, if you use a vibrator, it will help you believe in God. Anyway, <laughs> I get to the, <laughs> I'm driving towards this damn bloody um, borderline and there's four or five cops, big Texas, you know, Texas, uh, Stetsons on, they've got mm. dogs big scary dogs with big chains around their necks sort of like rah, 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 rah. there's three african-americans bent over a car being searched you know i can hardly do a u-turn in a pink neon green leopard print bus and like nip back another route so i pull up and i sort of slide open the window and they're all sort of staring at me going what's all this then but more out of amusement and i pulled my white woman british accent you know the most worst white oh, hello <laughs> I went oh hello and how are you all today I'm Lou and Luland from the internet uh jolly good and they they got on the bus they wanted to have a little look around I told them what I was doing without mentioning I had 500 vibrators in the back they're all taking pictures with me and I drove off and I think that was probably my darkest two days because as I left and I was watching them be very rough with this African-American, mm. I was like, that was so disgusting that you just That's did that. You got privilege. in privilege. Yeah. It's absolute worst. And I sat in my white privilege as I followed the border of Mexico. There's, there's a long um, freeway that runs along the whole border where people die every day trying to escape, trying to escape, trying to get into the U US for a better life. I just did inverted Connors. I know you can't see me mm. in better life. <laughs> and just, I, it was hot. And I didn't see another car for like about 200 miles. I just sat. Wow stinking in my white privilege thinking of all the people and I'm having a jolly old drive in my bus mm. that you know I've you drive away from it <laughs> and I it was very it was definitely a low point but then southern hospitality turned out to me you hear about southern hospitality <laughs> it was amazing people are just so friendly and curious and I you know I didn't I didn't get I had lots of arguments with people, fascinating arguments. And I ended up starting to look for people that I disagreed with because I just think what we do is we 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 box ourselves away mm. from echo chambers. Yeah. You know, and we do have to you do have to protect yourself, especially with social media. There's no point co consistently watching things you don't agree with or that wind you up or that are, you know, upset you. But also you still have to stay educated and open. 
So, but we shut all these people out of our lives and we shut them out of ours. So then we don't learn from each other. We get stuck. And this is part of the problem with America. You're either, mm. you know, you're black or you're white, you're rich or you're poor, you're Democrat or you're Republican. And the trouble is there's nothing in the middle and there's nowhere to meet. Everything's so polarized. But one thing I did learn certainly through Black Lives Matter was that, you know, being actively anti-racist, you, you can't just keep quiet. It's not about keeping quiet. It's about actively challenging things. Which let me tell you down in Texas is quite, is, is, it makes you, it ma- is it busy? It's busy. You're very busy, challenging. <laughs> but I'm like, how are, you a ra- how are you racist? Tell me why. Like, tell me why you think like that. And so I found a way of just, and it was usually so simple you know, and it, the the answer was always the same, it, it, whether it was the anti-abortionists, whether it was the racists, whether it's just people who generally, you know, I just, just Trump supporters, you know, I would say things like, if your daughter was raped, let me just ask you this. Do you have a daughter? Do you have a son? Do you have a daughter? Do you have sisters? Yes. If one of those daughters or sisters was raped and unfortunately ended up pregnant, would you expect her to carry that child and give birth and then give it up for adoption and then be able to just go on with it. Is that what you want for your sister or your daughter? And they'd go, oh, without fail. Well, well, no. Okay, so, you know, oh. And without fail, their answer was always, I've never thought about it like that. I'm like, what do you mean you've never thought about it like that? How do you think? How became obsessed with how people think? And then I realized that growing up in the church or I was really lucky with my mum and my dad from a Christian point of view, they would be like, you know, the first place you start if you're having difficulty with somebody is their shoes. That's where you go. Why are they doing this? Why are they think like that? Why do they behave like this? And you start in their shoes. And when you understand that, you go, okay, all right, well, let's find a different way around this. And so that was, but without fail, that was always met these amazing racist lesbians from uh, Florida. I was like, okay, you're from Florida, which makes you nervous because Florida falls, you know, people in Florida tend to fall into two two categories. Sometimes they're, you know, pretty crazy. Uh, and I was like, okay, I don't know if we're going to get on, but we're lesbian, you're lesbian. So we'll, you know, we can find some middle ground here, surely. So we're talking and I said to them, we started talking about Kaepernick, who was the football player mm. who uh, knelt for the national anthem. Well, at that at, at that point, people in America were burning their Nikes. Literally they lost burning their shit, didn't they? Absolutely. Burning Nikes in the street. And they asked me what I thought about that. And I said I thought it was probably one of those powerful, peaceful demonstrations we'd seen and most, you know, in our lifetime. And they said, Yeah, you know, but they're steep that you know, that meant that they started tearing down our statues. So I'm like, okay, do you think slavery was a good idea then? And they're like, Well, no. And then well, those statues are in, you know, in celebration of slave traders who, who sold people of colour. What do you think that feels like for a person of colour to walk past that every day on the way to work? I said also, and this is a great way to help Americans understand, you know, what do you think the rest of the world thinks of that? And they don't like that because they want mm. Americans. So that really makes them think. They're like, oh, well, yeah, it probably doesn't look that good, does it? No, it, you've got a statue to a, to a racist slave trader that says to the rest of the world, we think that's great. So they went, wow, just never thought about it like that. (laughs) I said to them, surely as two lesbians, you walk into a restaurant in Florida holding hands. I'm fairly sure you get you get some looks from people. And they went, yeah, yeah, we do. And I went, well, imagine what that's like as a person of color every day, everywhere you go. 
people look at you and make an assumption about you or make a judgment in you or even cross the other side of the street because they're so Mm. they don't want to see you just never thought about it like that sounds like you should have been the uh the critical thinking tour not the self-love revolution I tell you what (laughs) you should be running for president (laughs) I would take you over Trump every day of the week I mean, I, you know, when I think when I set off on the bus, I wanted to change the world. Um, And I was like, by the time I get to New York, I'm going to fill Madison Square Gardens with my wisdom. I'm going to be like the new Glennon Doyle. And like one person can't change the world. Hmm. But I found more power in these tiny conversations that I had with people. I was like, this is all I can do. If they go off and think about things differently or make different choices or are kinder to someone, then that for me mm. is, you know, and I think I remember somebody asking me before I left on the tour, they said, when you get to New York, how will you quantify that this, the tour has been a success? And I'm like, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. How do I tell Instagram's a success? It's just one direct message at a time, one person at a time who says thank you, one message that says, I've left my husband. One message that says, I've at least got my husband into therapy. I've joined a gym. I climbed a mountain today. You encouraged me to wear a sequin cardigan to the supermarket. <laughs> you know, And you never know when these things will come back. So I get back and I had the most amazing message from a lady. She said, oh, I'm the uh, marketing director of the Birmingham Bullring Shopping Centre. Um, and I've been following you for ages. Yeah, I've been following you for ages. And I really uh, want you to, I want to, we should do something together at the ball ring. So I'm like, oh, okay. I went, oh, that's exciting. I used to shoplift in the ball ring centre in my teenage years. <laughs> Didn't hear from her for six weeks. I was like, oh, my God. Well done, Liz. You really flew that. that you, you kind of got that wrong there. Anyway, then I got then I, when I got back, she did. She messaged me and she said, I really want you to come up to Birmingham and I want well, let's figure out what we can do. So they got an event company involved and we came up with the whole concept for the self-love sanctuary. And I was like, I want it to be all things Lou and Lou land, you know, fun and step out of your comfort zone and some empowering talks and we'll do all these things. So we had a whole weekend program of events. And so I talked through Lou and Lou land to the event company. Then I had to go up for a meeting and they presented all the ideas that they'd come up with. And as they were talking, I burst into tears because that's what I do. But it was the first time someone had taken Lou and Lou land as a kind of a, as a brand. They got I'm, you. Yeah, to try it but as, as a brand, take it seriously and really get the mission. And for them to present back my mission to me was so overwhelming because it was just like, oh, my God, it makes sense to people. They can see what people can see what I'm trying to do. And the woman who'd messaged me said, one day on your Monday motivation thing, she said, you said, do the thing you don't want to do. Just fucking do it. She said, and I applied for promotion and I got it. And now I have this job and now I want you to get it. So you never know who's listening or watching or, you know, and that was such a game changer for me. I've been forever grateful to Danielle at the Bullring. <laughs> and they just, they want to do it again this year, next year. So go back and do another self-love sanctuary for Valentine. So, yeah, I don't know. And are you going to take, because you have brought Susie back yes. to the UK. Yes. So when, do, when does she... bloody Susie so bloody Susie is very very heavy and so the DVLA uh I have to do a an HGV driving license having nearly 10,000 miles by myself I now have to do an HGV driving license which is about two and a half thousand pounds and about 10 weeks long I know Mm. and I don't have spare two and a half grand at the moment also um, so she's also not roadworthy yet because mm. they want a 
specific date of manufacture and I cannot for the life of me get a piece of documentation with the specific date of manufacture. It's just driving me absolutely potty. But we're nearly there. I'm nearly there. But everything with the DVLA takes quite a long time. So I fill in all the paperwork. Then I send it off. Then they deny me. And that whole that takes about three months. Then I refill it in and send it back. And, then, and so it's been a bit, a bit slow. But the beginning of, I'd say late winter, early spring next year, she's going to be out of the shed. She's in a shed in Somerset. Probably got mice living in her. I'm going to go and see her. <laughs> desperate. I had planned to put her in a field and live in her. But actually, I found her, she was so powerful and so incredible on tour. She had such an effect on people on tour. The amount of women that came knocking at my door looking for help because they would see me and obviously they'd be like, what the fuck? So people would Google me even when I was driving or I had arrived at an RV park and I'd pull in and it would take an hour before the first woman came knocking on the door and they'd, <laughs> they'd Google me. And be like, oh, I'm curious. They either come, they were Lou and Lulan curious, or they'd come with. I mean, I had women who had been beaten up. I, one woman in Texas, I came home from a night out. A lady was sitting with a suitcase on my doorstep. She moved in with me for a few days. So we got her into a shelter. I had women who, um, I found three women in Arkansas who were all dying of cancer. None of three of them, they didn't even know each other. They were all in the same RV park. They had no health insurance, all separately, just dying quietly by themselves. So I stayed for an extra week there and set up a women's group. So they all cook for each other now and support each other. So, yeah, I mean, she was just... Women on a mission. (laughs) Yeah, she was too powerful to go in a field. So I'm going to take her on a tour next year. Um, I've now set up Hike Squad here. About a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, when I moved back, I wanted to set up Hike Squad because hiking changed my life. I met the most incredible women through hiking. And I also met the most incredible, had the most amazing adventures and found a lot of my confidence through hiking. And so when I moved back, I really wanted to start Hike Squad. Mm. And so I bought a little eight-seater. I call her Runaround Sue. She's like a little <laughs> Japanese. So I could take people and we could go. And it's taken me longer, although I've enjoyed being back, it's taken me quite a long time to really feel settled. Mm. And so about six weeks ago, I started to feel... It was a sort of the anniversary of moving back and I was feeling a little bit more settled. So I was like, I'm going to see if anybody wants to go for a hike. I'll just put it out there and see. So I put out a little post going, does anybody fancy going hiking? I had 650 messages, emails, comments and direct messages of women all around the world who wanted to go hiking. Obviously not 650 people in London. There's people going, I'm in Dundee. I'm in a Tenerife. Could we do one out here? But I was like, there's so many women looking for their people, you know? And there's loads of women's hiking groups out there that maybe they don't speak to mm. them. It doesn't have the sexiest reputation, does it, really? No. You think about the ramblers. One of the things <laughs> a lot of people have said is, I don't want to go on a mental health walk. I mean, it's what it is, but it, you, it that puts people off. It's amazing. People want to find their people. Mm. So... Straight away, I just decided I need to set up like a hike squad. I need to set up a squad of squads. So I'm working on building a network of squads everywhere and empowering local leaders, a bit like the tour, really, empowering local leaders to set up their own squads. good. I'm in. (laughs) I'm going to do like a Luan squad training program. So the, the, the squad leaders can come and be Lou and Luland affiliated. We're going to earn badges like Girl Guide badges for hot flushes and oversharing at lunch. And yeah, most outrageous story on the hike. 
One, if you get naked on a hike, not that you need to, don't panic. So I, I put it out. So far, I've done two hikes. I've taken nearly 60 people hiking. I've got another one at the weekend in Wales. Got another one following week in Somerset. So the squad of squads has taken off. So now I'm just sort of trying to build. Um, I'm just coming up with a business plan so I can, again, find a brand who wants to get involved. I mean, it's not none of these things make, make me much money. It's not really it, but... I want to empower the leaders to sort of make a little bit of money because, you know, just for doing the admin and stuff. So just sort of setting up that whole process right now. So that's really exciting. Then I'm hoping what I'll do is I take the bus and then I can just go on guest hikes and meet all the squads and do close swaps and parties as I go. And just, you know, I just invent life as I go. (laughs) We we, we haven't even touched on the close swapping yet because you do have (laughs) the most incredible wardrobe i do I mean, have them. I, you know I, I i mean i've got look, i've literally got my most colorful item of clothing on today and i'm not even <laughs> not even close to uh, i look actually really boring today i've got, got my, <laughs> my these went missing i ordered these they're vintage and i ordered them they've been missing for eight weeks with both the uh, woman who sold them to me and me had just given up and the post i uh, had several packages go missing ones that i've sent and i'd ordered the postman turned up on Saturday with nine parcels, all all my lost stuff all at once. So I'm very happy they've arrived. I, I feel I feel like we could literally carry on all morning, but um <laughs> but you're but definitely people are gonna hear a lot more from you because you've got a podcast, your own podcast launching early 2024, which I yeah. look forward to. And yeah, can't can't wait to see Susie finally get out on the road. I'm guessing you won't be going to any sort of very small sort of Cornish villages because the chances of you making it around, you know, trying to do like a 13 point turn out of a I mean, I got pretty good. I got pretty good at it, to be honest. I got pretty good at it. What I'd really love, I'm sort of pitching for a TV show as well. I'd really love to take her out on the road. Oh, and, uh, I would watch the hell out of that. That would that would be the, like the female equivalent of the what is it the the uh, Bob Mortimer and the guy who gave fishing. There which, you go. Which apparently is like a absolutely massive success. It which is. is just two, yeah. two friends sitting sitting by the side of a river chatting just about yeah. life and fishing yeah. and. Yeah. I think at the very least I'll take the podcast out on the road and record around the podcast. Like, you know, it's, as you, as we know, there's lots of podcasts. I'm not interested in really necessarily interviewing famous people because I think real people are where it's at. I think being real and being yourself is where it's at. I mean, I'm making a, I've made my life out of just keeping it real. And I think through Instagram, I managed to find my people. You know, we're all a little too much. Maybe we all, you know, we're told we're too much. I'm like, fuck, well, that's where it's at. So. I don't know. I I just I get my joy from other people. I get my joy and my energy from just normal people. We are the most inspiring people of all. I think everyone's got a story to everyone's got a story to tell. Well, I I, I look forward to uh, to your autobiography coming out in, <laughs> in about ten years time because that is oh. going to be <laughs> no, that's incredible. I've got a book deal. Haven't written a word. <laughs> I mean, I have two, I have two, I have more ideas than I can shake a stick at. More, too many ideas for one person. That's my trouble. <laughs> I do get that impression. <laughs> oh, Lou, it has been such a joy uh, chatting to you. Thank you, thank you for your kind of, you know, your emotional candor. And I'm sorry if that was kind of difficult reliving that. That I am surprised that, that part of life. It's interesting. I'm going to go off now and be like, that was really interesting. Like, mm. that was a bad. It was a hard. It was like one of the best days of my life and the worst days of my life all at once. Well, sorry, I cried all over you. I didn't anticipate having a... It's not at all. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, 
very, very inspirational story. So thank you for sharing it with us all. I think you only got to ask me one question. <laughs> there were a few. There were a few, but um, you, did warn, you did warn me. Fair play. I do try. I'm working on it. <laughs> Lovely. Enjoy the rest of your day and um, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Take care, Emma. Bye. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.